theories and kind of working slowly through it to speak to it, right? We, we talked in the beginning how Jesus tells us to speak to things, right? We saw in the beginning where he said to the disciples, they were in the middle of a storm, they're on the boat, and he just spoke to the storm. And he said, peace. And he didn't have to say peace in the name of Jesus because he was Jesus, right? <laughs> but our example would be we can be in the middle of a storm and say peace in the name of Jesus. And the disciples were astonished. And so we then looked at how he tells them in so many different ways to speak to the thing, right? We see sickness where he would just speak and he would say, be healed. And he would speak to these things. And so we, we looked at how he spoke to lack, and that's where we spent some time, where he had um, a lot of different, different scenarios. Didn't we look at a lot of different scenarios where like one was the false hopes or the distractions, right? The, the tree that was full of leaves but had no fruit on it. And how he spoke to that. And he said, you know, dry up. Stop being this false hope for people. Stop being this dis- distraction. You know, he had gone out of his way to go to this tree to get the fruit, and there was nothing there. So he spoke to the distraction, and he said, dry up. And we talked about how we have distractions and false hopes in our lives, don't we? Well, you know, I'm not going to look for, you know, a different place to live because this situation is going to change. Well, maybe that's a false hope. Maybe that's a distraction. Maybe you need to speak to that and say, Lord, if this is going to change, then let it change quickly. But if it's not going to change, then I pray that you open my eyes and that it dries up so I can move forward, right? Sometimes it's a job situation. Well, I'm not going to look for a different job because my boss promised me a raise. Well, that was maybe two years ago. When is he going to give you that raise? Let's speak to it. You know, Father, if this person is right where they need to be and they're going to get a raise, then we pray it comes quickly. But if this is a false hope, if this is a distraction from them looking for a different job or a better job, then let it dry up, expose it, right? And so we can speak to those false hopes. Sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and say, am I being limited? Am I not going forward? Am I living in lack because I have this false hope? Then we looked at when we have something and it's good, but it's just not enough. Remember when Jesus spoke and they had like five fish and a few loaves and they had like 5,000 people? Well, the fish and the loaves that he had were great, but it wasn't enough. So what did he do? He spoke to it and he thanked God for what he did have. And then he began to act in faith by handing it out. And it multiplied and it multiplied, didn't it? Then we said, what about when we have lack in our life and we have absolutely nothing and we need a miracle? We looked in the Bible in the Old Testament when Moses and the children of Israel were in the desert, and there was no water. And God told them to speak to the rock, and that water would flow out, and there was a miracle there. And sometimes in our lives, we got nothing. Like, I got nothing, Mary. Like, not even like I have some false hope. I got something, and it's a false hope, right? And I got lack there, or, or I got stuff, but it's just not enough. I got nothing. We got to speak to that. We have to do what Moses did, and we pray to God and ask him, show us, show us what do I need to do here for a miracle to happen. So we looked at when the beginning, when Jesus spoke to the storm, and we looked at when we have lack in our life and how do we speak to it. But another passage that we see, if we look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John multiple times here, is when Jesus would tell him to speak to the mountain. Now, we know that he spoke to them in the storm in Matthew chapter 8. But he talked to them about the mountain in Matthew 17. Let's start with Matthew 17. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, 
they just got done. There was a healing issue going on. The disciples were having a hard time. And so they went to Jesus because every other time before that, miracles happened. They used the name of Jesus and it always happened. So now they're, why didn't it happen this time? Verse 19, it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say, right, speak, say to it, to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, when we read that, I don't know about you, but sometimes we think about the actual mountains, right? And we think like, well, Mary, I don't have faith to actually move a physical mountain. I get that. But when it's translated mountain from Greek, okay? So they were Jewish people. They were probably speaking in Hebrew language. And because of the culture of that time, they recorded things in the, language, the Greek language. And so what I did is, is I went into the concordance and lexicon and all that stuff they teach you when you go to school, become a preacher, and to understand God's word. And I said, what, what was the meaning of the word mountain, right? Because we're reading it thinking of the Andes Mountain, saying, yep, I don't have that much faith. <laughs> I can't move the Andes Mountain. And so what did they mean by that? And so one of the rabbis that had looked at this, and he was talking about, what does he mean by removing mountains in our lives? And he wrote, to accomplish the most difficult, stupendous, incredible things. Ooh. So if I need to move a mountain in my life, when I'm, I, you know, it's one thing for me to say, like, okay, I, I can do this on my own, right? If I were to say to you, I need to move mountains, I got up this morning, got dressed, you'd be like, that was not incredible, that was not stupendous, right? Because, <laughs> you know, maybe I didn't want to get up and get dressed, but that wasn't moving a mountain. But now what if a person that was in a wheelchair said, I got up this morning, and I got up and I got dressed all by myself. Now that would be moving a mountain in their life, wouldn't it? That would be a miracle, right? That would be something incredible or stupendous, like something that was most difficult because that person had a limitation. And all of a sudden, what seems commonplace for us seems like a mountain to them. So the question I always have for people is, what are the mountains in our lives? And here's the thing. When we compare ourselves, we think, well, this shouldn't be a mountain. Maybe Pastor Mary talks about, you know, going on a vacation once in a while. Well, well, to me, to be able to go on a vacation, that would be incredible. I'd have to save up all this money. I'd have to get, you know, figure out a place to go and do all this stuff. Maybe I've never done that before. But see, when you compare yourself, you diminish the fact that you need that miracle in your life and that you're even worthy of it because you think, well, somebody else can do that, right? But maybe for you, that is the mountain, right? Maybe it has to do with a job. Maybe it has to do with a relationship, Maybe it has to do with your health. Maybe it has to do with your self-control and and to be able to move the addictions out of your life. Each one of us has something unique that is a mountain in our lives. And when we get into that trap that Satan puts about comparing and saying, well, this shouldn't be a mountain because if somebody else can do this easily, then we never focus on it and we never get it moved. Right? Have you ever had something, and, and I'll be honest, you know, I love my family. Don't be mad at me. I use them as examples a lot. They're just used to it, right? But have you ever, like, you came into the kitchen and you set something down on the counter and a week goes by and it hasn't moved? If anything, it's had babies and now there's, like, three of them, right? Like, maybe it's a, maybe it's a book 
and all of a sudden, like, now I've got this pile of books sitting there. Or maybe it's somebody's dirty socks that were, you know, by the back door, by the shoes, and you throw them up on the counter, and all of a sudden now they think that's where you put all your dirty socks. Am I the only one that has, does anybody else have a pile of junk on their counter? I should take a picture. I've got this one counter. When we had the house built, I literally said, I want some countertop over here in this corner. And, and the, the builder, when he was looking at the kitchen design, he's like, what is that for? You got, you know, your kitchen's all over here. And I said, that's the pile of corner for all the crap that piles up. I don't know if that's a bad word. But all the junk. Oh, he used the junk. All the junk that kind of piles up. And believe you me, I utilize that junk corner, like, right? And then I got junk drawers. I don't have just one junk drawer. I have two junk drawers. But here's the thing. You see something, you pick it up, you put it somewhere, and, and maybe you're like me, like my kids' bedrooms are upstairs, so I'll put something on the staircase, and I'll think, they're going to see their backpack or their whatever on the staircase. When they go up and forth to their room a hundred times today, they're going to grab it and take it with them, right? That mountain does not move. That mountain does not move. If anything, the mountain gets bigger. By the mountains in my life sometimes grow. Now, I'm using silly examples because you all have your mountains, right? But think about maybe it's a health mountain, right? Maybe you go see the doctor one day, and he says, oh, your cholesterol's kind of high. You really could you lose five pounds. And that mountain doesn't move, does it? If anything, it gets bigger. Let's all be real, right? You go back a year later. And now they're talking about putting you on some sort of cholesterol drug. And again, I'm using a simple example that I know most of us have experienced. But your mountain might be something even different or bigger. It's a situation and it doesn't move. What I find is if I don't focus on it and I don't put any effort in it, nobody's going to move it. I'm the only one that thinks that this needs to take happen. Guess what? My angels don't become flesh in the middle of the night while I'm sleeping. And the angel fairies come and clean my house and move the baskets, do they? No, I have to make a decision and effort to go and move them. Now, when it's something that I can physically move myself, I don't even ask for help. I just, I go and move it. But when it's something heavy, like I wanted a bookshelf moved the other day, guess what? I had to go to my husband. I had to go to my son and say, can you guys please move this shelf? And I really only had to give instructions to one of them. My son happened to walk by. He goes, what are we doing with the shelf? I said, I want this shelf tipped on its side and moved around the corner. I want it put right here. And I had walked away. Once I gave the instructions to somebody, he went and found his father, and his father helped him move the shelf. Now, here's the thing. In your life, you have a mountain. I don't know what it is, but you got one. You want me to come over to your house and look around? Maybe I can find a few for you and point them out, right? We don't need that. We know what our mountains are, don't we? But the question is, is who have you asked for help? If we are... I hate to use the word arrogant because we're not really arrogant. I don't know how else to, if we, you know what the word arrogant means, but sometimes we think that I am responsible for this mountain. I can handle this mountain, so I'm not going to ask God for help because I should be able to do it. I don't know if that's arrogance. Sometimes that's maybe it's just, maybe stupidity, right? Ignorance. We think, like, we think we should. Have you ever done that? Like, I think I should. Like, I remember being a young mom um, the first time when Todd and I got married, and when I, he met me, I had, like, three different jobs. I worked full-time, had the kids, was going to school part-time, doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, we got married, and I wasn't working at that time. I was volunteering. I was doing a lot of work, but I thought, oh, I should have more hours in my day than I did before. 
So I don't need to ask him to help me with stuff around the house. I can do it all. And because I assumed and thought I could do it all, nothing, you know, not all of it got done. Maybe 90% of it got done, but 10% didn't. And I never asked for help because I thought, no, I should be able to do this. And we all know that bottom line is we should ask for help. We know um, a lot of people will say this. They'll say, well, but Mary, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? And I'll be like, no, actually, it's not in here. That's one of those demonic things that Satan wants us to believe. But it's actually the opposite of what God's word says. God's word says numerous, numerous times, ask. Ask for help. Pray. Seek me out. Come and give me your heavy burden, and I will give you my yoke, and it is easy and it is light. See, as a young mom, if I would have just said to him, guess what? I can do 80% of this on your day off. Can you help me with this and this? We would have gotten 100% done all the time, wouldn't we? But I believed I had that thought that I should, so I'm going to, and I will, and it never got done. Never got done 100%. Then I was always feeling shameful, right? Because, man, I wish the house would be perfect. I wish the house was done. So the big thing is, is when we have this mountain, we have to talk to it. But that means, first of all, we have to see it. We have this thing that is most difficult, that it's incredible, and it needs to move. When I, when I looked up the, um, the word mountain in the original Greek, we know what it said? It said something lifted up from the plain, what has lifted up and is blocking you? What is lifted up? And you can see it. Maybe you're embarrassed by it. Maybe you don't like it. But until you focus on it and do something to change it, it's not going to move, right? When I come home and I see the pile of books sitting on the counter, I can see it. It's lifted up from the plane. It's not where it's supposed to be. But unless I actually go over and make the effort and pick them up and move them or ask for help and say, hey, Wesley, can you take care of those books? Go downstairs, put them on the bookshelf. Nothing will change. If anything, it will grow. So today we're going to look at how do we speak to the mountains in our life? How do we ask for help? How do we make them move, right? So we see here in this Matthew 17, verse 19, he says, Why couldn't we drive it out? Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved. Nothing will be impossible for you. So how do I increase my faith? That's where I want to get to. Like, okay, if he's saying I need to have faith to move it, and really what is faith? Faith is my belief that it can happen, right? I don't, if I have no faith that the rusted out junker car in my backyard can start, I won't go out there in the morning and try to go to work in it, will I? No. I have no faith that that car can run. So I'll go to the car that I know will start, right? So you have faith in something you believe can happen. So number one, we have to believe that God can move the mountains in our life. And that he wants to. Most people will say to me, well, I know God can, but will he? I know God can, but does he want to? Well, God's word is very clear. Now, like, you know, there's certain things I would say, reflect back on God's word. Is that, will God heal me? Well, what does God's word say about healing? He wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to heal the wounded, right? And how many times did somebody ask Jesus for healing and did he fix them and heal them? He, he always did it. Now, relationship issues and with other people, now you're getting into their free will. 
right? And there were people that would come to Jesus. Like one person went to Jesus and said, Jesus, tell my older brother to give me my inheritance, right? Well, Jesus didn't go to the older brother's house and sit down with his finances and make him give him that inheritance, did he? He didn't do that. So when it comes to relationship issues, I always tell people, what does God's word say? He wants us to have peace. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have love. So if the mountain is, I have a relationship issue with somebody, how do I speak to that mountain? How do I pray for that? And this is why, you know, make an appointment. Sit down and talk to somebody that knows God's word that can show you this. I'll say, let's pray that love is restored in your relationship, right? And sometimes, you know, we have to look at the definition of love. It says love protects. So sometimes that means putting a boundary up. You know, you might have an opposite situation where I'm in this relationship with somebody and they're abusing me. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's mental, maybe it's whatever, right? And I'll say, well, love protects, so it's okay to put a boundary up in this area. But, you know, so those situations, does God want to restore a relationship? Absolutely. How is God going to restore that relationship? It depends on the situation. In some cases, it's putting a boundary up, time out for a while. We know timeouts work with people, right? We see that in here. I mean, look at Moses. He goes off the deep end and kills an Egyptian. God sends him in the desert for 40 years for a timeout before he was able to go back and face the Jewish people. Look at, look at Joseph. He was all arrogant with his brothers. Well, he was, was in jail for like seven years before he became Pharaoh's right-hand man. Sometimes timeouts and relationships are good. We don't see it spelled out that way, but I can show you, right? Like we're, we're fathers and sons, and, you know, they, sometimes you just don't talk to them for a little bit, but you're praying for them. You can't tell me that, that Moses wasn't praying for all of his Jewish brothers and sisters in Egypt and wanting that to be restored. So, but what about finances? What about, you know, blessings? And I can show you scriptures where it says, yes, God will open up the windows of heaven. And Malachi, he says, he says, tithe and test me in this. Give, you know, a portion of what you do have and watch and see that I will not pour back into your hands. You know, but again, you have to look at the scriptures. You're not doing that grudgingly. You're doing that with a cheerful heart. And sometimes it's tithing of our time, tithing of our talents, I love reading through the Old Testament when they were building the temple and seeing how every single different type of people were helping out in different ways. Or when they restored the temple in Jerusalem and the city, they had all these gates and these walls. And if you read through like Nehemiah or Ezra, you can see that when the people came back to Jerusalem, every single family was given a portion of the wall to rebuild. And so everybody tithed their time, right, and their abilities and to see how they restored everything. See, God wants to move the mountain in your life. You might not like how he moves it, especially if you want to control somebody else, right? That's, that one gets hard. But he wants to move the mountain of sickness out of your life. He wants to move the relationship issues out of your life. He wants to remove the addiction out of your life. But sometimes those things, like as you pray and as he shows you, sometimes it's him, him teaching you something. I talked about it when we first, first got this building probably six months beforehand, when I would pray and spend time with God, I really felt like the Lord was saying, you need to exercise. You need to exercise. You need to exercise. Haven't you ever had, like, you know, we call it our gut feeling. We call it mom's intuition. We call it all those things. That's the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus. That's a gift from God. Whether you listen to it and believe it or not, that's up to you. 
But that Holy Spirit kept telling me, you need to exercise, you need to exercise, you need to exercise. And I kept thinking, what a silly thought is that? Why would God care if I exercise, right? My soul is saved whether or not I exercise. Who's got time for that? I don't have time for that. And then we got this building, and the first month, I'm going up and down the stairs, back and forth, up and down, carrying and lifting things. And I remember, like, being in a hurry and working on something, all of a sudden realizing I needed the hammer that was in the basement on the other side. And I literally was probably, like, up in the offices, had to go down two flights of stairs, or a flight of stairs, across the hallway, down another set of stairs, find the thing, go across that basement, go back up, go over. And I was thinking, like, I am exhausted. I had to sit down and catch my breath. And the Lord was like, do you have time for it now? And I was just like, here he was. He was trying to bless me, wasn't he? He knew this was going to be a mountain, the fact that I couldn't even catch my breath after going up and down two flights of stairs and walking. If I would have been on the treadmill like he put on my heart for 20 minutes every day for the last six months, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. See, he sometimes will say, you have this mountain? All right, you're going to have to do this. It's kind of like somebody that says, well, I want to build a house. And he says, okay, here's the hammer and nails. Get working. And we're like, no, 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 I want the house pre-built, right? I don't want to do the work to build the house. I, oh, okay, hey, I got this mountain here. All right, let's get a wheelbarrow. Let's move some of it. Let's get some of it out of here. See, moving the mountain, doing the incredible, doing the stupendous is hard work. If a person came to you that was in a wheelchair and said, I got up this morning and got dressed and all by myself, you're going to see them clothed. You're going to see the end product. You're going to see that mountain moved. When maybe when they first got diagnosed, it would take their mom and their dad helping them for 20 minutes before they were fully dressed and in that wheelchair. But all of a sudden, you see a 40-year-old man who's been paralyzed for the last 20 years, got up, got dressed, got did that all by himself. He's sitting there. You think nothing of it. But you don't see. Maybe it takes him an hour by himself, only using his arms and just pulling himself around to get himself up and dressed and in that wheelchair. You don't see the hard work that it takes for him to move that mountain. So sometimes it is hard work, right? Sometimes it's a miracle. I love it when the miracles happen, don't you? But in the meantime, are we willing to do the hard work to have that mountain moved? But we need faith. If, if we don't even see it, if we don't have any understanding that it can move and that he does want to move it for us, we can't even begin. So let's look at what is faith. We see here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence and what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Oh, let's read that again. I love that verse. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now it goes on, and I'm going to keep reading it in a minute, but let's go back to my car illustration. If I own two cars and I know one works and one doesn't, when I get up in the morning, I get into the car that I know works and has gas in it. And what is that? I am confident in what I hope for. My hope is that I get to work on time. And I'm confident that this car, out of the two choices, is the one that's going to get me there. But I also have assurance that I, what I do not see. I don't know about all of you, but I never pop the hood and look underneath there to make sure that the battery is connected every morning when I get in my car. I, I don't. I'm assured. I, I feel, even though I can't see it, 
Even though I don't, I've never physically opened up a gas can and held the little tab open and put a flashlight and looked in there to see the gas in my tank, I am confident that there's gas in there and that it's going to get me to where I need to go. Right? So now that's a silly, simple illustration. But I, what I want to show you is when you've got a mountain in your life and you need to have faith to move it, I want you, first of all, to have confidence in what you hope for. Now, most of y'all are sitting here going like, well, this is a new sermon. I didn't think about what I'm hoping for right now, Mary. Okay, go home this afternoon. Find a quiet moment. For some of you, that means going into the bathroom and shutting the door, right? Locking out the kids and the family and everybody else and just sit there for a minute and say, Lord, what should I be hoping for in my life? Some of us hope for things that, like, you know, maybe it's a good thing to hope for, but maybe your energy and your effort would be better to hope for something else, right? Like if I come home and my house is a mess and I wish my house was clean, but I spend an hour watching TV, did I put the effort in the right thing, right? No, I I put the effort in something that was, okay, it was fun to watch that show again. But maybe if I'm really hoping for the house to be clean, I should spend that hour cleaning the house. So what are you hoping for? What is the mountain? What is something that you feel is just too incredible and you can't move it? Maybe there's things that you used to hope for that you stopped hoping for. Because, and I've had people say this to me before. Mary, I tried it. It didn't work. So why, why should I keep praying? Why It doesn't work. Right? It's kind of like me saying, like, well, this car over here didn't work. So why should I ever try another car? Because the cars don't work. You can't pigeonhole God because one situation didn't work out the way you wanted it to say that God will never help you in all the other situations. Just because one car in my childhood and life didn't work doesn't mean that every other car I encounter. So I'm just going to walk everywhere? It's going to take me a while to get places, isn't it? So where is the mountain? Maybe it's a mountain you've been struggling with since childhood, right? Maybe it's a mountain that's new. Maybe it's something you don't even realize is a mountain and you just have, have just... Oh, that's just the way life is. You've accepted it. I want you to take a moment this afternoon and pray and ask God, is there a mountain in my life? Is there something that I've accepted? Is there something in my way? Is there something blocking my path? Is there something that has been lifted up that needs to be put back down, that I need to move? And then I want you to have faith, confidence, and that hope that this is going to move and that I'm going to be assured that even though I don't see it, even though I don't know how it's going to happen, God knows and God's going to move it. Right? Like when all of you signed up for the water baptism, not one person, maybe my husband, but not anybody other than my husband and maybe a few people that, you know, are elders that know, not one person really came up to me and said, oh, now, are you sure you're going to baptize me, Mary? There's no water up here. I don't see a trough. I don't see a baptismal tank. Are you sure? No, you all had faith. Y'all showed up in your bathing suits that day. Y'all showed up in your shorts. Not one of you laid in bed that night and wondered, how is she going to make a pool of water appear? No, you had faith. You had assurance. You had confidence that even though you didn't see me having to get some helpers and drag a big old tub in here and put the tarps down and put the water in, that it was going to happen. See, sometimes we want to see and know how it's going to happen. And so when we don't figure out how it's going to happen, we think it can't happen. But we have faith all the time. 
You have faith that the scribbly piece of paper the doctor gave you is going to make sense to the pharmacist and that you're going to get the pills you need, and you take those pills, even though you have no idea what that piece of paper said or what the pills are supposed to do. We have faith in many circumstances all the time. Now, I use those examples to show you that if you can have faith in those times, you can have faith with God because I promise you, God is way more efficient than I am with a baptismal tank, right? God is way more efficient and able than the doctor and the pharmacist to get you the medicine you need for your heart and soul. God is able, but if we don't come to places like this and hear the word and are reminded of that, our faith won't increase. We see that in Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you actually read through that whole passage there, it talks about you're hearing the word of God by a preacher. And it says the preacher will come and will encourage you and will show you through the scriptures. There's a lot of great passages in what Jesus did, but one of the cool ones that we don't really talk about much, maybe around Easter we talk about it, is after he died and ascended, um, one of his encounters with some of the disciples was he was walking from one town to the other. And these guys were asking all these questions, and, and, and uh, it says Jesus took the time to show them from the Old Testament all the way through all the scriptures and all the prophecies that were fulfilled. And then it says by the time they reached that town, their eyes were opened. Now, why did he take the time for this whole, it was probably maybe a two-hour walk, right, from one town to the other back then, to explain to them in the scriptures all the prophecies, everything that happened. Why? Because those guys would be the ones that would then teach the next person and teach the next person and would open up their eyes. We need somebody who has been taught these things to remind us. Humans, man, we, we learn something and then we forget it unless we do it on a regular basis. Right? I mean, there's certain things that we do on a regular basis that we don't forget. But then there's other things that maybe we saw once when we were little, and it kind of takes us a minute, doesn't it? It takes us a minute to remember. We need to be at encouragement. Our natural pattern is to see the negative. And that God designed humans that way. Most of the time it keeps us safe. If you see a big truck and it's loud and it's scary, or you see a train, your mind instantly goes to, I don't want to get hit. I mean, you literally could be quarter mile away and you see that train coming and you're hitting the brakes because you don't want to get hit by that train. See, our bodies are programmed to say, danger, danger, danger. But as Christians, we have to be reminded that in certain circumstances, we can turn off the danger button or the it's never going to happen button or I'm going to be negative button and we can say, I'm going to pray because this was promised. If it was something that humans naturally did, we wouldn't need a Messiah to come and show us that we can have that. So we see that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that we need this faith. We need this, it says in Hebrews 11, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. For by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from his, this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleases God. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I love that. When you say, I believe in Jesus, you're believing that the reward will be you get to go to heaven when you die, right? You're you're believing on a Messiah because you know that you're not alone here in the world and you know that you're not good and you need this Messiah to forgive you of your sins. But most of us stop there. We think, well, I'm just going to have heaven when I die and while I'm here on earth, I'm going to have hell. But you need to be reminded God didn't come just to give you heaven when you die. He came to give you life, right, and life to the full. John 10.10 tells us that. So when we seek him, when we believe in him, when we believe and have this hope that he wants more for us, that he wants to bless us while we're here on earth, he loves that. He wants you to know that when you pray to him and ask him for help, that he will reward you. Let me end here in Mark chapter 11, verse 21. Peter, remembering what Jesus had done with the fig tree, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed with has withered. Jesus replied, right? Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, right, this difficult, incredible thing in your life, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen. How many of us are saying the negative bad thing that we wish wouldn't happen? That's all we talk about. We tell everybody, oh, I'm probably going to have this happen to me and blah, blah, blah. Say what you want to happen. Say the positive. Okay. It says, if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will happen, it will be done for them. So he's saying, if I want you to say what you want to happen and believe that God will help you get to that point. Therefore, since that's the way to do it, therefore, now he's going to tell us how to do it. Don't you want to know the how? I always like to know the how. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer... Okay, so I'm saying what I'm going to believe to happen because I've already prayed. And because I prayed, I now am confident that God will do it for me. So it says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I love that. So number one, we need to pray. We need to pray and ask the Lord to help us with this mountain. And for some of us, we need to pray and ask the Lord, show us what mountain is there. And then we need to believe that now that I've asked somebody way bigger and stronger than me, that he will do it. But what if I need to do something? Don't worry, he'll tell you. He'll tell you, right? I always say, you do your best and then trust God to do the rest. Sometimes I have to ask the Lord, okay, I need to do this, but I don't even know where to get started. Show me, right? And then I'll have a dream or I'll talk to somebody or I'll get some insight or I'll hear his voice and be like, okay, this is how I'm going to get started, right? If you're building a house, you say, I don't even know where to get started. Who do I call first? Just ask around, talk to some of the people that you trust and that have built houses before, right? And they'll be like, oh, the first person you got to call is this person. And then you learn and you do your steps. Well, but, oh, I remember one time when we got this rental here at the church. I, I said, okay, we want to rent it out. We had knew a single mom with three, four kids at the mission, and she needed a place to get into right away. I'm like, oh, we want to get her in next week. And I went, and somebody said, oh, you, you can't get her in until you go down to the city and get the rental, rental permit. So I call them up, I go down there, and they said, oh, it takes like three months to get all this paperwork and get everything done. Well, I did my best. I filled out everything. I gave it to her, told her the situation, and then I prayed. Right? I prayed. 
All of a sudden, miraculously, I get a call the next day. The guy that does the inspection said, well, I, I'm going to be right next to the church. I just had this on my desk yesterday, and, and I had an opening. Is it okay if I just pop in real quick? Is anybody there? Yes, somebody's there. Let me let you in, right? Now, what happened? The mountain was moved. I did my best, and as soon as I realized it wasn't something I could do in my power, then I prayed and asked God to do it. You guys do your best and then ask the Lord to help you with the rest. And, health, and be open, though, when he tells you, right? If it's something practical, like a relationship, and all of a sudden God's putting it on your heart, we'll call this person, send them a card. Um, or, or, hey, your cholesterol, you know, take an extra walk, like with me. If he's telling you, get on the treadmill, and you're praying that you're healthy, then be open to following his encouragement. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus told us numerous times that it's okay to pray and ask you for help, that it's okay that we are weak and you are strong, that there's things in our life that are incredible and, and too big for us to handle on our own, that in those moments we can cry out to Jesus, we can ask you for help, and that you want to help us. You want to bring peace into our lives and love into our relationships. You want to show us if it's time for a boundary to go up or if it's time to extend the hand. You want to show us if it's time to physically move or make changes physically in our lives or if it's time to simply sit back and rest and pray. That you want to help us. So Father God, this week, reveal to us if there's anything we need to stop ignoring, that we need to stop denying, that we need to stop pretending like it's not affecting us when it really is. You show us if there's anything in our life that we need to come to you for and say something has to change. And then when we do that in faith, that you answer us and show us the first step to take. And we're going to pray this week, Father God. Some of us are going to come up with a list and realize, boy, I got 20 mountains, and I'm going to pray and give them all to you. And maybe you'll just point out one for us to work on this week. But Father God, we're not going to stay in the shadow of the mountain anymore. We're going to ask you to help us remove it out of our life so that way we can walk in peace and joy. Be with each and every single person here. Fill them with your presence and show them how they can move forward in life. Bless them, Father God. Give them wisdom. Give them favor. As they pray, I pray that you send out a double blessing, a double amount of angels to work on their behalf, a double portion, because they heard this message and they are going to act on it in faith. Watch over them and bless them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Guys, don't forget about tonight. If you can help Eric real quick in the fellowship hall, he'd appreciate that. If you need anything from the blessing shop, it's through the lobby to the left. And if you're new today, please make sure and grab a gift from the welcome booth. Love you all. Hope you have a great week.